This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So, the only thing left to say is... You in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello, welcome to Rob Ryan Red, the Wrexham podcast brought to you by Red 10 People Development. Well, Newport Away was worse than a purple jumper, but fear not fashionistas, we are made of promotion material pullovers. And as 7,000 Reds make their journey to Ewood Park, the Wrexham dream might be about to go full Roy of the Rovers. Naif, how are you doing? It's one of those weeks where the weekend was disappointing, but I'm bloody excited for Blackburn. Yeah, I mean, the weekend was was crap, wasn't it? Uh, no other way to dice up. I tweeted, uh, deserved defeat, but pointless pretending otherwise, and really pointless dwelling on it too much. I know that we've got a podcast to fill, so we sort of need to a little bit, but pointless dwelling on it too much. You saw Mansfield go and draw against Sutton. Now they're the angry ones at the missed opportunity, and we're still sat in second, aren't we? So um, it could always be worse I'm all right. I'm all suited and booted, as you can see, for work. I'm doing this from the confines of a pod in the office again, as I sometimes have to do. Um, but yeah, very much excited for Blackburn. Although excited for you, because I can't go because of my work schedule now. So had it been the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it would have been fine. Monday, no can do. So I'll be watching with some London Reds in a pub in North London. You will be one of the 7,000. You plus 6,999 in the Darwin end. I'm excited. I think they're there to be. They're there to be got, mate. Yeah, I I agree with that as well. And like you said, there will be a full black burner preview towards the the back end of the pod, probably, and that might be on YouTube as well. So check us out, Rob Ryan Red on YouTube, if you want to watch the Blackburn preview with the Blackburn reporter that we've got on to, to guess that one. I mean, as well, Nate. I suppose the perverse thing of the way of looking at it is, okay, I think the recent example doesn't sort of weigh up, but Wrexham tend to come out all guns blazing after a defeat, so. You could even argue, look, if you're going to lose against our Newport or Blackburn, maybe it's better to lose against Newport so it gives you the kick at the backside for, for that trip to Ewood Park anyway. I think, you know, we will get into Newport now a little bit more in depth. Like you said, I think it is just one of those days that has to be glossed over. Everyone was crap. It was quite a changed team. 
maybe that raises the question that our squad depth that we try and flex every week isn't maybe quite as quite as strong in some places as we as we say it is. It's for me, I I did have a bad feeling sort of going into the game anyway. I think there's just we we've said it before, there is so much more mitigation to lose games this this year that even though it's a disappointing defeat and a grudge match, I'm really not that bothered because I know every other team is going to have defeats like that. Stockport lost at Newport and they are still, you know, I know they went on that run where they didn't win many games, but it's it's not the end of the world. It really isn't. So I'm trying to be positive today. Like I'm it was disappointing, it was crap. I feel sorry for everyone who went. But, you know, I, 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 was to, I was trying to weigh up which was worse, um, you know, kind of picking my poison of Accrington, where you get, we were both there stood next to each other. We didn't turn up there, did we? We didn't really lay a glove on Accrington and ended up missing that late penalty, which kind of felt fitting. Walsall, you were there. We were pretty dire that night. I'd say Newport's right up there. You know, people are saying, is it the worst performance in the Parky era? Ultimately, what I know is at the end of the season, it probably won't matter. And those days will be few and far between. It's just interesting that I think it's sort of going under the radar. It's not so much now after Newport, but Rich, I think have we won four of seventeen games away from home? You know, that's kind of uh, needs you know kind of there staring us in the face, but not really slapping us in the face because our home form is so good. Did you see that piece from Sooty in the Athletic? Very good. Basically, yeah. the, the, to sum it up, and probably not put it too succinctly, Wrexham are overachieving in terms of XG more than any other team at home this season. That's from the top four divisions. Premier League Championship, League One, League Two, no team is scoring more goals than they should do than Wrexham, who have outscored their XG by about 18 goals, which is absolutely obscene. But in the top four divisions, there is no team who are scoring less goals than they should than Wrexham, who are well underperforming on the XG. And we've always said... Look, away from away from home. Away from home. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. sorry. Yeah. We've always said that our waveform is going to probably have a dip off because very few teams are able to match it. Even last season, when we got 111 points, the away form and away performances weren't quite the same level. But this season is a real concern. The teams just play differently. I think our setup's also concerning and I don't want to be, like I said, I don't want to be naming names too much here, but what disappoints me the most away from home is I think a lot of our big players very rarely have, have good games on the road. I, I think it's fair. Paul, Paul Mullin and Elliot Lee are two examples. And I know everyone tends to put, play poorly away from home, but I think on the road, that's when the very best players sort of shine. And when we're playing at home, Paul Mullin and Elliot Lee are the best midfielder and what best striker in the division right up there. We're on the road, they're not. And I wonder, is that systematic? Because obviously the personnel are capable of, of beating anyone on a day. So I'm just wondering, is that the players or is that Parky? I, I've been really intrigued by this Ryan Barnett up front experiment that has happened more than once. We saw it at Newport where he kind of went alongside Mullen, even when we were down to 10. Then they ended up switching to a four. We saw it briefly, I think, um, against who was it now? It was a home Forgetting. game that we were winning quite comfortably towards the end. Was it Wimbledon? Maybe... Was it? Was Wimbledon. it just before Shrewsbury or something? Oh, I can't remember. It was either Wimbledon or maybe Barrow. One of those two. Barrow. One of those two, and it, it's really interesting because he is the only one in that squad really with that blistering pace in behind. And I think Barnett played there, played further forward as a youngster and kind of as obviously he's progressed and regressed and regressed back in terms of position. Um, 
I mean, we're flogging a dead horse in that, you know, we know we need pace. So far, all the targets that we've been linked with and we're going to get onto the transfer section, they don't scream out kind of Ryan Barnett level pace. Um, I just think away from home when you're not going to dominate the ball and you're not going to be able to camp teams in and dictate, you need that you need that pace. You need that that counter-attacking ability. And I think we don't we do it so infrequently at home. So you're that saying when it comes to away. Your January wish now is for a pacey striker, an out ball. Just pace. I think I think you need pace throughout the throughout the team. Uh in, in a way. I think you both need a pacey centre back to cover in behind. I think we've, we've caught out, particularly at Walsall, although we got really caught out there because they had that pace. And I think Mullen Mullen needs pace alongside him. He needs foil in, in terms of maybe physical you know, Ollie Palmer people say is the best foil, but we look so slow at times up top. I don't think we get up the pitch anywhere near fast enough. And that's not to try and overreact to one win. I think for the remainder of the season, going into next season, you need pace. Pace is one of those things that people can't train to to counter. Either they are as quick as you or they're not. And, you know, having that in your team is immensely valuable. Need foil. Do we need Will Boyle? Um, the question on him, he's going to maybe go down as one of the worst Eriksen signings, pound for pound, isn't he? Championship pedigree, I guess, for the fees and the expectation now. I mean, I love whoever was running the Manchester Reds Twitter at the weekend because they, what do they say? Guarantee Will Boyle's first goal scorer. He was immediately sent off. Um, <laughs> no complaints of the challenge. He just looks like a square peg in a round hole, doesn't he? I, I was impressed at the start of the season. I thought he scored that header, was it against Walsall? Walsall, I thought he, right. thought he put himself a bit around okay. Stockport away was, was catastrophic. There's always been this sort of thought in the back of my head that, look, we saw with Cannon, we saw with O'Connor, some of these players take half a season or so to sort of gel and get into Parky's sort of style and then you unleash them properly. But Will Boyle, I just don't see it ever really working out for him right now. And I want to be proven wrong. I mean, write these Wrexham players off, you know, at your peril. We've said that before about everyone. And I say that about Lee and Mullen as well. They were class in the, the games against championship teams last year. Do it again on Monday. But Will Boyle, yeah. Is that, I mean, th- that could be, is this might be you know this might be properly um properly ridiculous to say but he, that that could be the last time we see him this season because someone has to be cut from the squad this month yeah it it could well be i mean he's banned now i think the red card carries over for the blackburn game so i think he's banned for the blackburn game he's banned for salford and then what's the next game bradford i think that's right He's banned for those three games, technically back for Sutton, but by then the window will have long closed. He could find himself out of the 22, and that might be that, and that might be all she writes, you know, uh, heading into the summer. He's in that group, isn't he, with kind of Billy Waters, Sean Brisley. Those are the three that spring to mind of real... Harry Lennon? I feel... I think Lennon was, so. was good, though, wasn't he, when we saw him? Like, he I was feel like Lennon's had some games. I feel like Lennon's had meaningful contributions. Yet. He put in a big shift away at Sheffield United. He scored that goal on the owner's first visit when we played Torquay. I think he, he had moments, whereas, I I mean, Brisley had a, a goal at Barnet, which was very rare, if you, if you were able to see that. Waters, my final memory of him was him skying it against Newcastle under-21s, just finding the back row of the tech end. And uh, Will Boyle, I mean, 
our Twitter went up in smoke with the amount of replies, over 200 replies. I think it was viewed over 200,000 times, that tweet about was it a red card, was it not? Rich, I know red cards typically are very polarising. You know, you get the old schoolers that say that's not even a foul, clean challenge, he's won the ball, the game's gone. And you get others that say oh, it studs up, you can't follow through like that anymore, that's a straight red card. I was Even I was surprised by the level of, you'd go from one post that was like never a red, not even a card, to, you know, send him down, send him down, judge. He's, you know, that is assault kind of thing. It was so chopping It kind of reminded me of Cannon against Crawley in the sense that I don't think there's an intent there to, I, I don't think it's that, I don't even think the actual tackle itself is dangerous. It's just in the modern game, you can't do that but they're the rules that you judge by. So, yes, but where's it? Where's past. This... It's a good tackle. I mean... If I'm, if I'm going to play devil's advocate, though, Rich, because I think it, the more I watched it, the more I felt it was a red card. Where is his leg meant to go once he's made the sliding challenge? Well, I, I'd, I'd counter it by saying, where's his leg meant to go? But it's also, you made your mind up after watching, what, 20, 30 replays of it? It's in right. real time. Take it as the context it is. He's gone in for a tackle. It's, it is just part of the game you know that is just any level any discipline how would you do that tackle without without having the follow-through really and i know you might say well don't go for the ball then but it was there to be won. he's not actually see what annoys me the most here on the whole red card rule is there's the that you can go in two-footed or you can go in one-footed maybe two-footed's a bit extreme with example but if you if you get sent off a dangerous play but you've not actually endangered your opponent, then I think that's just the risk you're running. I don't think you should be punished for that. I don't think... It, if you go in with a really strong tackle and they say, oh, you could have you could have really done some damage there. Yeah, but if you haven't actually injured him or fouled him, then that isn't a foul. But yes, yes, there is. I, I understand that maybe they just want to really minimise the risk and they want to eradicate those sort of tackles altogether. But I just don't think they ever will. And I know that it'll be this sort of initiative to make it a safer game to play. But I think as a professional football player, that is the risk you're inheriting and you're taking upon yourself. So if you go in for a wild challenge, but you do get the ball, part of me just thinks, well, yeah, but he won the ball. He took the risk and it paid off. Rich, can I read you the comments of former Premier League referee Chris Foy on the World Boil Challenge? This is what he had to say. So the instant potential red card and red card was given. Chris Foy said, For me, this one meets the criteria for serious foul play and therefore a red card as the action by Wrexham's number 25 endangers his opponent here. Even though the Wrexham player plays the ball, his follow-through results in a high and forceful contact on the opponent from a straight leg. The opponent was always in front of the Wrexham player and following through in such a way was correctly identified as serious foul play. When observing the incident, I do believe the referee could have perhaps created a better angle for himself. Obviously, the referee wasn't able to see it himself. To see the incident more clearly, however, through effective teamwork with the assistant referee, a correct decision has been made. And, you know, there were lots of people. Thanks for all the comments that people gave us on that. It was, yeah, it was probably our most popular tweet in a while, that one. Yeah, lots and lots and lots of people giving their 50 pence on uh, whether it was or wasn't a red card. But that's Will Boyle now suspended for three games. If that's his last Wrexham appearance, we shall see. It's um, it, it, it just felt it just felt like a, an encapsulation of his entire Wrexham career, that, though, in, in 18 minutes, you know, kind of made a, a slightly ropey start, a couple of passes, 
who were a little bit uh, awry. He, I mean, he wasn't the worst player in those first 18 minutes. Then he gets sent off and, you know, that might be that for him. Exactly. I also think that there's the, you know, he waits so long for an opportunity and then when you do get one, it's just wasted like that. And now you're sort of barred from having the opportunity to, to go again in the next couple of a uh, couple of games. So, yeah, it's it's a bit of an annoying one. And it's done, isn't it? I think, you know, the best teams move on and they, they react well. And I think that's what exa- that's exactly what Wrexham will do. I think we just need, like I said, I, I think in a, in a perverse way, it might do as good ahead of Monday. Obviously, we'll get into that in, in a minute. But Nath, I suppose for the Wrexham Reds, who uh, had a bit of a, a double header at the weekend, it didn't get much better, did it? No, so you're thinking Newport is absolutely awful. Um, I, mean, I know people said they enjoyed the actual day out except for the football, but Newport, crap. And then obviously some st- stick around in South Wales. Why not? I'd make a weekend of it. Wrexham women playing down at Cardiff. Now, Cardiff have had Wrexham's number. You know, Cardiff are the best team in um, the Adran Premier. They are the gold standard. Wrexham played them a couple of times and lost uh, those matches. Playing at the Cardiff City Stadium, Rosie Hughes starting on the bench. It was always going to be a tough ask, Rich. And I wasn't there, unfortunately. You weren't there. But a friend of the pod, Megan, was there. And so we had Megan on. When was it now? Before we played Swansea uh, away, before we played at the Liberty Stadium. And we were talking about, you know, could Wrexham potentially crack the 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 big two and, and, and finish second? It's been a sobering few weeks on that front, really. I think we've seen that golfing quality. But here's what Megan had to tell me about the weekend at Cardiff and maybe what comes next before the first phase of the season ends. Oh, Megan, last time we spoke, we were just saying before we came on, so vibrant. I was I was getting excited about maybe a top two finish, maybe, you know, I was even talking about Europe in the very near future. <laughs> um, things have changed. Women's team, let's, let's just get into it. Lost 3-0 at Cardiff, at the Cardiff City Stadium. Great occasion for the ladies to play there, where the national team, the men's national team and the women's national team play. But you were there. It was stark, the, the gulf, I thought, in, in quality. Yeah, um, sobering is a word that you and I have both sort of bandied about. And I think that's the way of putting it, is that, like you said, you know, when we first spoke or last spoke, there was a sense of, you know, the ceiling is is so high, but we can reach it. And and what is the ceiling? And And now it feels like the ceiling is actually a little closer than I think a lot of people expected. And, and that's okay, um, because... I think this is just, it's a reminder for everyone that this is Wrexham's first season in the top flight and it can be very tempting to look at the Welsh domestic league and think, well, of course, we're just going to storm it because this is the Welsh league and this is what's going to happen. But in reality, like this is a very difficult step up from the Audron North, not just for the players themselves who, let's face it, they are on semi-pro contracts, but that is not something where they dedicate their entire lives to this. You know, there are players who can't make it to games in the afternoon or evenings because they've got work complications or trainings and things like that. So you're asking a lot from the players who have already stepped up in the Audron North and then like a year later, you're asking them to do the same. And then there's a standard in the club and in training and Steve Dale's coaching staff. Like this is a massive step. And so I think Sunday 
was a very humbling reminder that, like you say, the the gap is still very wide. No, because you've done so much this year. You spoke to Gemma most recently, but Phoebe Davis, I thought that was a really nice piece that people enjoyed, and Lily and loads of different others. So Wrexham's been a good story, but I think the key word for me with the women's team is perspective. You know, perspective of if Wrexham finished best of the rest or top four, we would have snapped your hand off at the start of the season when when you came on to tee up the season. I'd have said, we'll take that, you know, all all day. Um, So I think the fact that Wrexham are, are... in the top four and are trying to be the best of the rest you know still a great achievement the, the, you yeah. who follows the, the league was never really expecting Wrexham to to take a serious fight to Cardiff and that's okay in year one yeah exactly and I think as well maybe Wrexham sort of exceeded a lot of people's expectations you know that opening match against Swansea was was fantastic and Wrexham could have got away with actually winning and then the way and the the manner in which they defeated a lot of the other teams in the league especially at the start of the season I think maybe inadvertently set them up for this moment because it's like oh well because they're winning these games because they're doing so well well then of course they're going to get second place of course they're going to be able to like defeat Cardiff and I think there was a little bit where they were maybe exceeding like their own potential and they were maybe overachieving and now maybe they're at the place where they really should be and that like you say like that is completely okay it's about getting that perspective this is why the club at the start of the season were tempering the hype tempering the emotions really trying to explain to people a top four finish is a massive achievement and it is still a massive achievement and you Wrexham have four games to go we're speaking before the TNS um, clash tonight um, they have a very tough run of fixtures if they want to achieve top four. It is still very much in their hands. It is extremely doable. Um, but, you know, they need to win those games or get, you know, positive results out of those games. And, you know, it, it's up to them in the end. And I still think, like, a top four finish is incredible. It'll probably be them, Cardiff, Swansea. I'm assuming TNS will be in there. And then it turns into a round-robin tournament between those four. And and that'll be really good for Wrexham in terms of raising their standards and continuing to learn how to close that gap to Cardiff at the top. I mean, you know, you've written a piece that I'm sure people can find on your socials speaking to Gemma. But one of the key things she said in that was that, you know, lots of improvement to be made. This is very much a first step of what you would hope would be many steps. So definitely internally, I think maybe some fans were getting a little bit giddy and great to see those that actually stayed down there after the Newport game. You know, how disappointing yeah. that was for the men's team. It would have been very easy to if people said, you know what, never mind, I'm not going to stick around. But a, a fair few did stick around and go to that late game um, at the Cardiff City Stadium. So, you know, this is all about building blocks. And I guess building blocks without, I mean, the big news this week, Hannah Kerry-Kopoulos retired at 29 due to injury. So disappointing for the player and for Wrexham. Yeah, I mean, she was a fantastic signing. She was the one that the FAW put up when they were doing sort of the previews for the season. And she's just an exciting player. And her experience, what she's done, I mean, she put it out in her tweet, her journey is fantastic. And she's been an inspiration for so many people. And that that first game she played against Swansea, she goes and scores. She also manages to get the Swansea player sent off. Like she was just this this rolling ball of chaos and carnage. And you need that. You need that kind of player. And it was so disappointing to suddenly see her her journey at Wrexham just ended so shortly and so cruelly. And now, obviously, like her whole career. And you know, it's it's, it's not just Hannah now that's injured. You know, you've have 
you know, Rosie Hughes obviously has been coming back and forth from injury and she's a critical cog in this team. And I think that's also been a very big learning curve is how do you navigate this world without Rosie Hughes being the fulcrum of everything? You know, she's dropping deep. She's trying to create. She's also trying to finish off whatever she's trying to create. And that's really difficult. The team can't be so reliant on her. And, and that's been hard to deal with. And then you, you've got someone like Doran, the defender, who, I mean, they were crying out for her against Cardiff. And you could see that. Um, one, not to sort of go off uh, on a tangent here, but one of the things I noticed against Cardiff was just the, like, the fitness levels were in stark contrast. And that's something that Cardiff have really focused on on the pitch for the last two, three years under their current management. Like their preseason is tough. I've spoken to players about it. There are girls who, you know, they don't like it, but they also love it because during the season, this is this is where it gets you. You know, you're playing teams who look exhausted and they can't go the full 90, whereas like they're still sprinting. So that's something that I think Wrexham are going to have to look at too is, you know, how much do you ask of these players who at the end of the day are semi-pro, they have full-time jobs, they have families. Like this is a labor of love from every angle coming in. And that's not just Wrexham, that's every every single team in the league. So it is a very difficult to balance cities out. And that's what Gemma was talking about was, you know, you can only ask so much of these players. You can't say we need you to go run 10 miles a week, but also we're only going to, you know, have you operate in the semi-professional environment. You know, it's a very difficult balance. And right now I think Wrexham are just trying to create and foster an environment where players want to be. And that's key in terms of moving forward. It's it's really interesting, isn't it? Because full-time players, you would say if they were running to the ground, you know, that's their job, that's all they do. And you see, especially on the men's side, you see so many grueling preseason stories where they're just, you know, hills and all sorts of SAS style training. Yeah. You you can't you can't put semi pro players through that. It, it, they've got to then go to work and they they can't have their legs worn out into, you know, in, their bodies into the ground, running to the ground, yeah. right? They've got to Rosie goes to the prison and you know other girls have got jobs, some are mothers in there. You know, Phoebe Davis spoke great about um, her daughter and everything in, in the piece you did. It's it's tough and it takes time. And I think as well, both men and women at Wrexham, they're both in a period now where people have got quite attached to the players because they've seen them on the documentary and they've, you know, they've been part of that initial takeover teams. But they need to change. They need development. They need to improve. And that goes for both. Like I say, I, I firmly believe on both sides is that elevation of quality now to really get them to where they both want to get to. Yeah, it's a funny one because I think it's like you say, you get so attached to effectively characters. That's what this is. It's like, you know, you turn on your favorite TV show and you're like, oh, I love this one. I love this one. You know, um, I've, I've been watching Schitt's Creek lately and I do everything in the ilk of, I mean, that entire family. So suddenly when you when you're following this team and then the idea of not, you know, seeing Hannah Kariakopoulos on the on the TV anymore on the pitch anymore it does hurt but at the same time like you say to elevate this team to advance to raise standards that is the next step there has to be an element not of like ruthlessness but more just kind of reality of this is where we are this is where we want to be and you know with the players either they do then sacrifice more time more effort more energy or they you know they stand aside and they say no this is this is the future this is what it is so this is what basically the future holds for the Rummins team. But at the moment, top four, if people can kind of like get behind that and 
you know, I still think it's extremely doable to get top four and then just celebrate that and then, you know, build on from there. Because I'm not sure if people remember, but like that playoff final against Britain Ferry, that went down to the wire and Britain Ferry were a fantastic team and arguably probably should have gotten something out of that. You know, it wouldn't have been a shock if they had. So Wrexham really have exceeded expectations coming in the way that they have. Um, and yeah, like you say, Cardiff was just the kind of the perspective put back in focus, I think. Yeah. So two more things then before we wrap it up. Steve Dale, 50 games for him now, isn't it? You know, a landmark mm-hmm. achievement. I'm sure he'll soon be at the century, I'm sure. What What are you made of Steve? Because everyone speaks so highly of him. All the girls really, really invest into him in, in what he's doing. I mean, he's done a fantastic job. You have to say that in those first 50 games, it couldn't have gone much better for him. Oh, yeah, I I completely rate Steve. I think he's done so well. And he's been around the club for so long, too, in different guises. So he understands how everything works. And I think that's really important, especially in a position like this, where he is trying to push them forward while also understanding what the history is, what the backstory is. So all of those things play in together. But I think what he's done with the team is really good. I think he's very realistic. You know, you can see what he's trying to do in terms of style, but there's also an element in which he understands they're not going to play the way Cardiff do at this moment, and that's okay. But maybe let's get to that point at some at some stage. So, no, I think he's done well. And I spoke to Gemma about Steve, and one of the things she first pointed out was, you know, Steve is fantastic. His coaching staff is fantastic too. And you have to give credit to that entire team the goalkeeping staff all of it like that's so much goes into that squad um so yeah I I hope that they've reached like centurion status because I think it's more than deserved finally then you said about the final four games of the I don't know what we call it regular season that sounds very NBA or NFL first first split first phase first phase phase, that's it first phase that's what they call it first phase you're better than me um TNS tonight before we so we're recording now before the TNS game we can obviously get into that me and Rich next week then you've got three home games against Aberystwyth, Pontypridd and Cardiff Met. Great opportunity for fans to go to the games, support the girls and, and get them over the line into that top four. Because if we're looking at the table right now, where are we? Third, Cardiff are top, 31 points. They look a surefire bet for the title, which you said you know, when you came back on last time. Swansea, 25 points. Wrexham, third with 19 points, the game in hand tonight, I think it is, or mm-hmm. maybe not. Yeah. Actually, I don't know. Game in hand tonight. Um, we're on 19 points, then fourth is TNS with 16 points. So a TNS win tonight would really, like you say, spice it up in terms of the top four race. Hopefully not. We want the blandest yeah. top four race going. Um, then Aberyst within fifth with 12, Cardiff Met with 11, uh, Barry on nine and Pontypridd with one point. So you would say off the off the top, Wrexham at home to Pontypridd, you would chalk that up as a win. That, yeah. That'd be that'd be one of the four. And then you've got TNS right below you, Aberystwyth, who are no slouches, and Cardiff Met. Tough games, but also as tough for those teams as it is for Wrexham. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you look on paper, and Wrexham are in the better position. You know, they they should win, but that does not mean that it's a guarantee. And I'd say TNS and Aberystwyth and and you know, Cardiff Met have a lot of history. Hold on. A few moments later. So so yeah, I mean those three games, other than uh, not including Ponty, they're very difficult and they could mess 
racks him up somewhere. But this is where they just have to keep their heads down. They've got to do what they know that they're doing. And and that's kind of the end all and be all of it. Um, I remember speaking to Gemma, though, about the home games. And Wrexham home games have been really exciting this season because what Gemma was really keen on doing was fostering an atmosphere where it didn't feel like, you know, you've got the Wrexham women supporters and you've got the Wrexham men supporters, which is how right. a lot of, unfortunately, like I cover the WSL a lot and that is how the WSL has kind of turned into some other clubs. It's not really the case, but you definitely get that the higher up the pyramid you go, ironically, you, know, you have Arsenal women supporters, you have Manchester United women supporters, and that's it. Whereas what Gemma really wants to do is create this kind of just like, this is just Wrexham and this is where we're going. And being able to do that at the Wrexham Women's Stadium has been one of the key moments because I mean, asking people to go all the way down to Cardiff and Swansea, that is a very tough ask. But being able to have that for the Wrexham women team, that, you know, the people standing behind them doing it, it, it the atmosphere is fantastic. And she praised everyone that's been involved so far this season. But how wonderful would it be, not just for the team, but for you know people like Gemma who've been involved for so long to see the final three home games just teeming with that kind of support. I think it would be a real show of faith. I'm going to try to go up if I can. Um, I don't have a car, so that's usually where my issue lies. But, you know, I think if you can get to that game on a Sunday, go. It's worth it. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful stadium, despite the, the history and the background of, of it all. Um, so, yeah, I'd say definitely go if you can. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with Muck Delivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. there you go rich perspective because Wrexham have come a long way this is season one and I think if you and I had been offered at the start of the season a top four place I'm sure you and I Gemma and the rest would have been more than happy with that you know so it's amazing how quickly expectations can rise and it's then the challenge to meet them but as I said to Gemma as I said to Gemma as I said to uh, Megan both the men and the women now are in a period where the quality will need improving in the coming years. If you want to meet the level of success that both sides want to meet, that's going to require investment and that's going to require good scouting and talent identification. Absolutely. It's like you said, I think there's the need to have a step back at times and realize how far both teams have come in such a short space of time. And in terms of the whole club as well, talk about developing maybe quicker than you can maintain it. But like you said, you can't have sentiment. You've got to be ruthless. And as Humphrey, you know, was it a chat that Humphrey said to the Athletics sort of saying that people might have to leave in the summer? Basically, right. the fact that 
look, we've had these heroes, we've had these people who have who've helped get us here on our journey, but ultimately we can't have any passengers. And I guess that brings us nicely onto the transfer situation. Of course, myself and Nate are recording this on Wednesday, the 24th of January. So just a heads up as well, that, that could affect what happens next week, of course. The deadline day is... Is it a week today, the 31st, isn't it, of, of January? So we might have to delay the podcast until the Thursday. Is it the 31st it's... or is it the 1st? You know, I'm not sure if it I might actually the be the Thursday. Okay, well, we'll go with that then. Um, so, yeah, however that is, we might we might affect our, our podcast output for this one-off, just in case there's an, another teasing Luke Armstrong sort of tweet that's posted at, what, sort of 10 to midnight or whatever. Rich, um, I, Rich, I, remember, Rich I remember we recorded... Uh, a podcast and we we just finished it off and then Billy Waters got signed so we had to redo it from scratch and two so. days later Ben Foster signed <laughs> yeah. we, had to do, we had to do a whole new one again um, so yeah that, that'll be fun folks will reckon that for his Wrexham I suppose the biggest news is Wrexham have already made I say the signing they haven't made a signing but the biggest piece of transfer news from a Wrexham point of view is Arthur Conquo hasn't been recalled by Arsenal they had to have recalled him by now um, as part of the agreement so he will be with Wrexham until the end of the season. That is that is massive news. Obviously, Luke McNichols has had his deal made permanent as well. That was heavily suggested anyway. Transfer news then, Nath. The two names that are currently sort of standing out are our dear friend... What's his name again? Mr Humphreys at Wigan? Was it Stephen Humphreys? Stephen Humphreys at Wigan. And we've also got news of Luke Bolton at Salford. So... Interesting to see what comes of both of them. Does sound like there's genuine interest with with both of them. Perhaps even bids been placed for both of them, is what we're hearing. I've heard that Wrexham are maybe severely undervaluing both players from from what I've heard. Right, um, right, same, same. But it's a game of it's a game of chess, isn't it? We've said in the past that Wrexham Wrexham have an upper limit they want to pay. They they are happy to walk away, and that's how you forge your reputation in the transfer market. Because again, anecdotally here, we talk. There's been a lot of talk this week about Omar Barada leaving Man City to go to Man United. But part of a transfer strategy is implemented over years. Man City have a have a limit they will pay for a player, and if they ask for more than it, they walk away, and that is it. Sometimes it's detrimental. Sometimes it can cost them, but they they stick to their their policies. Man United, on the other hand, say we will not pay over this for a player and end up paying genuinely thirty million pound more. It happened with right. Anthony, it happened with Hoyland. They they get quoted these fees and end up paying way more. So Wrexham, if they want to not be taken for suckers long term, need to stick to that sort of rigid, ruthless strategy of their, their own now but it feels like a lot's got to give if they want to strengthen this month. But I find it interesting that a striker and a, and a right-back are currently yes. on the agenda. When so, we know centre-back is probably the priority. What I will say is, firstly, I've Googled it, Thursday the 1st is deadline day. So who knows what the hell's going to happen for our record there because that is going to be um, hectic Thursday. Um, as for... Yeah, it's... It's really interesting that those are the two positions that they're looking at. I think potentially, and, and this is bad news for Paul Mullin because he's, he loves Liam McAlinden, but I get the sense that Liam McAlinden will be one that drops out of the 22 or, or leaves. More so probably drops out of the 22, I think, and that probably creates a space for maybe another right wing back. Obviously, Ford's having his injury problem at the minute with his with his back issue. 
we don't know long term what the hell's happening with Jordan Tonnicliffe. His back issue is still not going away. I know he came through the reserve game fine, was the words I got told that he came through okay. Um, same for Aaron Hayden, they did okay. That was all all, all I got from them. Uh, that I got on them. Um, and Humphreys is 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 an interesting one because I don't think he is that pacey, that, that quick pacey striker. I think he's more of the Palmer upgrade, uh, you know, Dolby upgrade, uh, Fletcher. That, that, that more that type. Um, but from what I've gathered, it's a bid has gone in for Humphreys, rejected, and it's a case of personal terms are still not agreed. You know, my understanding that he wants a sizable salary, if not to be, you know, the top earner among the very top earners at the football club. You know, I think he's on good good wage at Wigan, around six, six and a half, maybe seven grand a week at Wigan. Um, and dropping a division, he would want that, if not more. And that will be at the top end of our dressing room, I would imagine. What would it take to get him? His contract's expiring in the summer. My understanding that people in the know around Wigan and around the player reckon 300,000 might get it done. And that's whether Rex want to pay that same with six with minutes for Palmer. to go. Same with paid for Palmer. Do you want to pay that for a player that's expiring in six months? I think the Clark Harris thing has gone quite quiet. If I'm Clark Harris, I think I'm looking at it thinking, Peter, we've got a real shot of getting to the championship. You know, a genuine, it's, it's, they're not an outside bet. They've got a real top two potential there this season. And as good as the project is at Wrexham and the money might be, say, down at Gillingham, who also won him, be realistic. If you can get to the championship, different levels of offers will come in for you and, you know, different different world of money. So things have gone quite quiet there. It's funny with transfers, Rich, because you and I both know that I could say this and then tomorrow Clark Harris is in the petrol station next to the Mice Gwyn buying a bag of jelly babies and uh, he's, he's sitting down with Parky. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, on the Humphreys one, Personal terms, not yet agreed. So that that one isn't... He played, obviously, the other night. And what I will say is Wigan fans were absolutely furious with Humphreys, his lack of effort there. The fans at the game were saying he'd completely down tools and, you know, they wanted him subbed off a lot earlier than he was. So, yeah, make of that what you will. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one. And like I said, also on, uh, on Luke Bolton... Uh understanding is that he would be open to a move if if one were, were on the table this month. I mean, without being an absolute knobber there, he wouldn't want to join Wrexham from Salford City. I mean, those are just facts, aren't they? So that maybe isn't such headline news. Um be interesting to know what type of role he would be promised though, to obviously leave you know, be be a big fish in a small pond or come to Wrexham and be a squad player. I mean he is one of the most highly rated players at Salford City and it would be intriguing to see how he how he fits in. He you know, came through the Man City ranks, was always pretty decently regarded, never one of the top of his class, really, or someone who was a standout name. I think sort of lower leagues is his level. I mean, again, Luke Bolton and, and Humphreys, both players who would then, you'd think, be able to do a job in League One, as we've said before, as, as part of our journey. So they, they, they take that box. But again, I, I, I think similar with you on, on the Humphreys front with Bolton is that, you know, Wrexham's value is maybe less than half of what Salford want from him. I understand that Salford would want like quarter of a million, like 250k right. for him. So again, that's a lot of money for a player in a position you're already relatively strong in. So it just remains to be seen. But, you know, as we've said, and I know Sutty says well, when he's on the podcast, centre-back is still a big area of concern for Wrexham as well. So 
that's the one that I would think would would have to be strengthened this that's month. The, that's like the said. one. That's the one. That's the one what that I don't. What me of Humphreys that you said there yeah. is we've said for years. What if Mullen gets injured? I know that's being very pessimistic. What if Mullen gets injured? Who's the replacement? And we're like, well, it's Billy Waters. Billy Waters comes in, doesn't get a sniff. He doesn't look good enough. Even now, though, we I I think it's Mullen, and then it's interchangeable between Fletcher, Palmer, Dolby, and then it would probably be Humphreys as well. Or two big men when we're crying out for pace just doesn't doesn't sit right with me. No, it's 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 but you know we've got to trust in Phil Parkinson. He hasn't. I know he, we, we've questioned Boyle and Waters. He hasn't made many ricks in the transfer market. He, he does know what it takes to build a squad. It it's just confusing to me because it feels obvious what that team needs. And you were saying about Wrexham needing to hold firm. I don't think they can hold firm in, in terms of. I, I think they do need to strengthen this month, Rich. Defensively, for sure. I think they. I think if we close the window without a centre back in, I think we. I think there's a storm coming because I'm still unconvinced by the fitness of Tonicliffe. Hayden, who knows where he his head is at in terms of not signed a new contract yet. Who knows whether that contract's even on the table. Um, Boyle. I mean, we don't think is 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 good enough, or his confidence is at least shredded. So there's a, a player there that just hasn't got any confidence in his own ability at this point. The environment's not suited him. Max, we really like. Tozer's on an expiring contract. Tom O'Connor's fractured his foot, you know, and and will take time. I think they I think Parkinson's taking an injection and touch and go for Blackburn. But again, a foot fracture is hardly ideal. I mean, that's your main left centre back. Suddenly, you've gone from having seven or eight centre backs to Max and Tozer, and do we need to go do a back four? It's yeah, it is really interesting that, isn't it? Just to see how they all play out because we spoke previously didn't we, about sentimentality and about being ruthless, and there's there is almost even a conceivable argument that look, you you basically keep like two defenders in the first team for next season if you if you went up, which is which is obscene, but maybe that's just what Wrexham need. I mean, I know when Parky joined the club, he said, where's all the centre-backs at? You might be saying that again this summer because you do just question if we go up, how many of them could be trusted? And it's becoming your catchphrase, Nath, but availability is the best ability and they just do not have that. So we should wait and see. But like we said, transfer news, obviously, you know all the good places. Check on that. Obviously, social media is a good one. We'll try to bring you as much information up to date intel as we can on that front and like we said who knows how next week's podcast will be affected as Nave said deadline day is Thursday that's the day our podcast comes out so we look forward to bringing you news later than everyone else um that's the Rob Brown red, red mantra Monday then Blackburn FA Cup another championship away day how are you feeling about it Nave? can we do it can we do it you best believe we can I mean we beat Coventry Blackburn are struggling. You know, I think there's talk at the minute that there'll be more Wrexham fans than Blackburn there. I think it'll probably be about even. It might be a crowd of about 14,000, 15,000, 7,000 apiece. And they are going to be nervous. I think if they get an early goal, it'll take the sting out of that 7,000 away. But if we can really get into them, press them from the off, a couple of really early challenges to just get amongst them, that crowd is going to be panicking and that will translate to their players because I think if they lose, John Dahl Thomason is in trouble. I think at Blackburn, I think their players, you know, will they will they go and play Sam Smoddix, their top player? 
that you know Coventry didn't play Jokeris from the start only when they went down to 10 that they really went for it so will Blackburn go for Schmodix will they because if they go all out I expect them to win if I'm, if I'm being brutally honest we don't look great on the road I know this is a different kettle of fish compared to say a Newport or a Walsall but Let's see. I, I've still got concerns about us at wing back. Mendy. Do you know what it's giving me vibes sort of? I'm just thinking it's gonna be like Com- uh, like sorry, like Sheffield United away last season. That's why I feel it might be that we give it a really good go, but in the end, a bad Championship team is still better than a good League Two team. Yeah, and I also think the draw. I I I text a few people and I said there's there's no rhyme or reason. I can't explain why I think this, but playing on the Monday feels more losable than playing on a Saturday. There's actually that that makes no sense. Fr- really. If it had been the Friday night before the weekend, you know, the first game of the FA Cup weekend, I'd be like, yeah, this is us. But like you said, right. the Monday, it's like the hangover. And it, by that time, the draw probably will have been made. Everyone yeah. will be a bit sick of the FA Cup. Rich, I feel like the shocks have already happened by that point. I feel like you've already had your upsets. There's already been the headlines. The draw's been made. Who knows? You pull out Liverpool, Man United, Blackburn, and then bang up for it. The crowd suddenly bang up for it. Uh, and it feels like kind of writing's on the wall. Then it, I, I can't, there's no real way to explain it um, other than that. But, you know, it's a good ground. I've been to Ewood Park before. It's going to be a great experience for a lot of the fans going if it's their first time. That's how I'm seeing it. No, yeah, I was going to say then, that's how I'm seeing it anyway. Whatever happens, it's going to be a bloody good a day out. Exactly. 7,000 7, Army of Reds. I think there's what some extra tickets being released as well the day you're listening to this podcast. Yeah, it's going to be an absolute... It's going to be br- brilliant. It's going to be bedlam. And let's just hope that no matter what happens on that pitch, we just give a bloody good account for ourselves. All those people who every single week say, where were you when you were Like, Let's just give them like, an absolute biblical Rexham away day. Just, I want it to be noisy. I want it to be great. No matter what's happening on the pitch, we can't just go there and, you know, even if we do concede one or two early on, I don't want it just to be flat. Come on. We should be so proud of this team. We're in the FA Cup fourth round again. That cannot be poo-pooed. Also, love the fact that Mulling got some new boots, uh, Disney-themed boots. And so everyone's saying, you know, let's get into these Disney bleep, bleep, bleep. And it makes it even sweeter for me that he's going to score a goal with Mickey Mouse on the boots which is just chef's kiss for me. I absolutely love that. So, yeah, but you spoke to someone who knows far more about Blackburn than both you and I. I was trying to come up with a link. Um, I mean, what are the links? Matt Janssen, are they, is that that link for us? Or Matt Derbyshire, is he a link? Played yeah. Blackburn. Jack well, like Vale. Said, I sent you one, didn't I? Jack Vale, the young... Yeah, we uh, do talk about him a little bit. But like I said, Disney versus Comedy Central, Wrexham versus Blackburn, and I caught up with Elliot Jackson, the Blackburn writer for the Lancashire Telegraph. So, Elliot, thank you very much for joining us on Rob Ryan Red. I suppose the place to start is, what was the reaction like when the draw was initially made? Rex at home, I mean, Rovers must fancy their chances of getting to the next round, or is that t- suggesting too much? I don't know. I, f- I think given the current form and where Rovers are at the minute, particularly at the time of recording, I think there's um, there's a lot of pessimism amongst the fan base at the moment. Um, league form-wise, one win in ten. Um problems in the transfer market with cash flow and all boring things in India that I don't need to bore your uh, your listeners with. But yeah, the, the mood around Ewood Park is not great at the moment, it's fair to say. They could definitely do with some additions in the January transfer to try and lift things um, ahead of Monday. Should, I think, going to have one in, hopefully, for the game on Monday, which will be a nice boost for Rovers. But yeah, I think 
I think just a sense of occasion, far better. They obviously played Cambridge at home in the last round. Um, they've had a bit of success under Yondal Thompson in the cup competitions. They got to the quarterfinals last year uh, and lost in the last minute to Sheffield United, which would have took them to Wembley. They've never been to the new Wembley, so that would have been a real occasion for Rovers. So, yeah, I think a sense of occasion, better than just... Uh, I know, obviously, Wrexham are a league below, but it's a, obviously with the fanfare around, it's a completely different thing to Cambridge at home. So rather than a tie just like that, if you're going to be at home, I think it's probably the perfect mix for us because it's a game they will be favourites for, given the championship opposition. Um, but also, you know, it's got a bit of a sense of an occasion to it. Yeah, we all know, we already know what it's like to have last-minute agony against Sheffield United. But I suppose that's a, maybe a question I want to sort of pose to you. It's a difficult one, but obviously last season, Wrexham beat Coventry away, a Coventry side who did so well in the playoffs, almost knocked out Sheffield United. From a Wrexham point of view, do you think that, you know, if we can do that against them, we should fancy our chances against Blackburn? Yeah, if I was a Wrexham fan, I would be absolutely buzzing for this game because you're going to go be, I'm sure it's a a new ground for a lot of people. There's going to be 7,000 in the away end. Rovers are in terrible form, generally speaking. It, it screams upset, like it absolutely reeks of an upset. Of course, it, of course it does now. Obviously, Rovers have got the better squad and they've got the championship experience. But in terms of a sense of occasion, I'd imagine for a lot of the players, it'll be you know one of the pinnacles of their career so far to, to go and play at a ground like Ewood to play against very seasoned championship players. So it screams of an upset, if I'm being honest. So if I was a, a Wrexham fan, I, I'd be well up for it and, and fancying our chances. Rovers will go in as slight favourites, I'm sure, because there's, say, championship opposition. But given the mood around the club and compared to Wrexham and, and the sense of occasion for them in particular, um, it's hard to not really feel like Wrexham will, will certainly fancy their chances. In sort of a very brief few sentences here, I know, like you said, there's a lot to get into. Why is the mood so bad around Blackburn? For those Wrexham fans who maybe don't know why and don't follow Blackburn as closely as, of course, you do, so, swift summary, why is, why is the mood so bad at Blackburn? I'll try and be as succinct as possible, but basically it all sort of stems from the ownership, really, which I'm sure people remember the Venkis taking over Blackburn Rovers um, sort of 12 years ago, leading to their relegation from the Premier League all the way down to League One, back up to the Championship. Um, they've always funded the club. There's never been any question about that, but there's been some issues over last summer with some new um, some new legislation coming in in India about taking money out of the country and putting it in foreign investment, basically, which is what Blackburn Rovers is, of course, to the Venkis. They're incredibly wealthy. They've got plenty of money, but cash flow has been a big problem for Rovers, particularly in the last 12 months. They had to cut the summer transfer budget by 15% and the wage bill um, from what was initially planned in mid-June. Um, and it's just created a lot of tension around the club. Yondal Thompson, the head coach, has often referenced it, often referenced as it being a brand new project has not hid his dissatisfaction at a lack of backing, albeit it's not really the club's fault, if that makes sense. They've kind of got their hands tied to a certain extent. So there's just a lot of uncertainty about the ownership and about cash flow. The form has nosedived since the start of December. Rovers were in and around the playoffs um, at the end of November. They finished seventh last season and missed out on goal difference uh, to get into the top six, which was their highest league finish since getting relegated from the Premier League. And they were on course to sort of challenge in the same sort of area again. Got a very, very young squad, um, incredibly depleted by injuries uh, at that period, although they're starting to clear up a little bit now. And the average age of the squad, coupled with the fewer bodies because of the transfer situation, coupled with a slightly disgruntled head coach, and then one win in 10, 
incredibly bad defensively, conceded the most goals in the championship, just all goes into this sort of melting pot to create quite a quite an unhappy atmosphere at the moment. So, uh, yeah, the, the club needs a good end to the January transfer window to lift some morale and uh, a good result on Monday night would certainly go a long way to helping that as well. I was going to ask you there then. I mean, for a certain generation of fans as well, Blackburn will still be one of the biggest teams in England, obviously a team who who won the Premier League, even for maybe the generation below that, my, myself and yourself, watching the Premier League growing up, Blackburn were always a team who were competitive in the division, had cult heroes as well in the division. What were the actual expectations heading into this campaign then? Was it very much playoffs at the minimum? No, I, I think, well, the CEO, Steve Waggett, did an interview just on the eve of the season and basically said the the aim was to stay up and develop young players the the academy is Blackburn's best asset by a, by a country mile that is how they are going to try and uh, adapt this player trading model that's how they're going to be try and move sustainably um because obviously the financial fair play rules in the championship are pretty stringent so a club like Rovers currently losing 20 million a year roughly um needs sales needs a conveyor belt of talent they have still got a category 1 academy which is credit to the owners because that is not cheap to run for a championship club but it has bared a lot of fruit and as you say yeah Rovers were it certainly in my day growing up they were an established Premier League team they were a top 10 Premier League team for most of my childhood um, and when you watch Premier League years back anything from 2000 2010 that is the case isn't it and then in the last 11 years 12 years it's been a, a sad decline really although they, they now certainly last season looked to be on the way back up under Yondal Thomason who's been a, a real breath of fresh air in the large part, if you saw, notwithstanding the last six weeks or so, he's been a, he's been a bit of a revelation, to be honest, coming into the club and getting them above their station in terms of probably the the wage bill, the the, the natural probably ability of the squad before he came in. So he's done a really good job. Um, although fans are probably not feeling like that at the moment. But yeah, it's uh yeah it's just a tricky situation for Rovers at the minute. The as I say expectations were. I think amongst the fan base, a top 10 finish, you'd have took that given all the problems in the summer. Ben Berriton Diaz leaving, Bradley Dack getting released, cutting of the budget. Um, but to be, what, 18th in the league, I think they are now, to have conceded the most goals in the league, to have conceded the most goals from set pieces. Um, there are mitigating factors, but it obviously doesn't help when you're watching your team lose consistently on a Saturday. I was going to bring on to the next point. I think you've explained it pretty much anyway. I am. I don't like going into the whole "we've got more fans than you" debate, but obviously Wrexham could very well have more supporters at the stadium on Monday night. Sold seven fans, sold at the away end. Blackburn sales rumored to be sort of in the five thousand mark. Might pick up again before Monday. Why is that that the, the ticket sales haven't haven't maybe been as as we'd expect from from our point of view? I mean, when we played Coventry last season, the stadium was still half empty and we had a great away attendance. Is it ticket mm. prices? Is it just the mood around the club? Um, I think I think that will pick up significantly. I would say that first and foremost, there is a bit of um, a history of Blackburn fans, particularly like it, it, it soars towards the end because obviously you've not got season ticket sales and things like that in taking into account. So that will generally be people that have um, secured their season ticket seat early because obviously you have to do that by a certain date. I would very much expect still there to be more Rovers fans probably than than Wrexham fans, but not by a lot probably. In fairness, and I think that's in part because of. Yeah, ticket prices is quite a, generally a deprived area, um, generally speaking, although the ticket prices are 15 quid, which isn't too bad at all. Um, they were £10 in the last round, but given the commercial value, I suppose, of this fixture, it's fair that that's slightly increased. 
Um, but yeah, there's just a bit of apathy with the club's hierarchy in particular. I think there's a lot of, there's a real connection with the head coach. Again, notwithstanding the sort of last six weeks, there's a real affinity with the players and all the academy talent that's come through and loads of boyhood Rovers fans in the team. But there's definitely a disconnect with the owners, with the club's hierarchy as well. And it's just a bit of apathy around the club at the minute because of the current form. So I think, again, you, you chuck all those things together and that's probably why people haven't rushed out to get their tickets yet. I, I would still expect that that figure will significantly go up before Monday, pay on the day and people over the weekend deciding they're not going to be grumpy and they're going to go to the game. <laughs> it's probably my uh, my prediction. I was going to ask as well in terms of what we can expect Monday night then. What type of team do you think Blackburn will put out? Will it be as strong as, as they can or do you expect it to be, like you said, possibly a new signing being showcased, possibly some younger players getting an opportunity? How strong do you think Blackburn will go? I think they'll be really strong. To, to be honest, you say about the younger players that most of their players are the younger players <laughs> in the first team anyway, so it kind of ticks both boxes. They only made two changes for the last round against Cambridge. They went really strong. You know, We were expecting like top scorer Sam Smodics to have a rest, start the game, played 90 minutes, got a hat-trick. I think I think they'll go full strength. I really do. There might be a couple of tweaks, uh, maybe ro- uh, the odd rotation for maybe Sandro Tronstad, who's the holding midfielder, who's one of the older players at 28. So that again, their oldest player is 28 in the squad. So there might be a little bit of rotation, one or two changes. But no, I fully expect them to go full strength. Um, Conor O'Riordan is uh, getting close to being complete. He's the centre half from Crew who you may have played against, obviously, uh, this season already. He could come in and play at uh, centre-back if he signs in time. That deal seems to be progressing, and I think it should get done probably before Monday. So he might be involved. Um, They've got a bit of a problem at centre-back in particular. Harry Pickering, um, who's the left-back, went off with a hamstring injury on Saturday. Hayden Carter went off with... I'm not sure what it actually was, but it didn't look great anyway. He's gone off as well, so both of them are likely to be out. So they've only got two fit centre-backs at the minute. Um, because James Hill got recalled by Bournemouth earlier in the window. So O'Riordan is coming in and, and will be involved potentially. So they've only got Dom Heim and Scott Wharton. So there's a bit of an injury crisis there. But yeah, they're, they're, they're getting some players back finally. They've, they've had a lot of long-term injuries to some of their more senior players. Um, Tyrese Dolan's been out for the last two months. He has done an interview in-house saying that he's hoping to be back for this game. So he'll probably be on the bench. Sam Gallagher's just come back from four months out. Uh, Joe Rankin-Costello's just come back after three months out. The goalkeeper's just come back after three and a half months. Ainsley Pears, um, who will be in goal, I'd imagine. Maybe that'll be interesting, actually. They might rotate and put Wallstead back in. Um, but he's not been in the best of form, it's fair to say, before uh, before Pears came in at the weekend and did pretty well. I was going to ask you as well, a uh, player I'm not too familiar with myself, but Jack Vale, Wrexham Bourne striker. What's his sort of reputation at Blackburn? Only 22 years old. I think he came through the TNS youth system picked up by Blackburn, but obviously intriguing given you know, Wrexham's uh, history of producing young players, when maybe one who got away, Jack Vale now in the Championship, is he a player who who's highly regarded at Blackburn or is he just a squad player? Well, he was on loan at Lincoln for the first half of the season. He sort of broke through last season and had a really good pre-season. Um, not obviously summer, just gone summer 22. Um, and played a fair bit in the first year. He was very much the backup striker to... Um, Sam Gallagher, George Hurst, they had on loan as well um, at the time and didn't really get a kick. So they were sort of rotating between them two as the second choice. And then he went out on loan in the summer, had an injury uh, at the back end of last season, which uh, which took him off the rails a little bit in terms of his uh, progression. Yeah, I, he's not really involved at the minute. He'll, he's not played since he's come back from his loan at Lincoln um, earlier this month. I expect he'll go back out again before the end of January. 
And the pro- I don't, he signed a new contract last season until 2025, I think, with an option. So he's contracted for a while. They only gave him that recently, but I, I don't necessarily think there's a, a massive future for him at, at Rovers unless he has a really... He might go out and have a really good loan, but I would say he's very much in the background at the minute is, a, is probably a fair summation of where he's at, at the moment. Yeah, even less likely than maybe him scoring on Monday night or being refusing to celebrate against his boyhood club. Uh, in terms of... I'll be shocked if he's in the matchday <laughs> squad, to be honest. Never mind... You- uh, you mentioned there that obviously Blackburn concedes the most goals in the championship this season, particularly maybe vulnerable from set pieces, which from a Wrexham point of view is, is music to our ears. Where's the threat then? Who that's playing would you expect to, to be the, the main issues for Wrexham? And what sort of areas of the pitch are Blackburn having the most joy in an attacking sense? Yeah, Sam Smodix is his pretty obvious answer. Would you say he's on sort of Jokeres level from last season? Because obviously Wrexham played very different him. players. Jokeres very much um, a number nine, very much someone very athletic, very powerful. Smodix is doesn't play up front; he's a ten, really. Um, he likes to. He, he often makes runs from deep, and he finds himself as the the most forward man. But certainly he's not. He has played that false nine role, but doesn't get the best out of him. Definitely better as a as a number ten or even a left sided number eight uh, with with the license to get into the box. So yeah, he's got sixteen championship goals. Scored a hat trick in the last round of the FA Cup, so he's on 19 for the season, and he's very much Rovers' best player, certainly most informed player this season. And as I say, the the big um, danger with him is the run, the late runs in behind to stretch the defence. It's a really important part of how Rovers play. Very possession orientated. Will want to dictate uh, dictate the ball. The issue's been moving it quick enough recently because there's not a lot of natural pace in the team. They've got quite a lot of number 10 types that play. Obviously, in the number 10 role, and on either side on the flanks. They haven't got sort of natural width that would really go at a defender 1v1. Um, but yeah, Rovers can play some lovely stuff. When they're at their best, it's it's quick, slick, one-touch passing, um, very few touches, moving the ball. At speed, forward passes, and, and that's what Thomason's style's been. And it's been really, really good for the most part. Um, he's coming and, and they've got a clear identity. You can, you can absolutely say what a... Blackburn Rovers team looks like under Yondal Thomason and I think that deserves a lot of credit because that certainly wasn't the case at the start of his tenure and it sort of clicked at this probably this time last year is when we started to see that really click into gear and, and that identity so when Rovers are, are the best they're good enough to match most championship teams um, but when they're at the worst which is what they've been recently they can be a bit slow on the ball when you play that style if you've not got the confidence and yeah certainly porous from at the back particularly from set pieces. Last question then, the question that every journalist hates. I'm not going to ask you for a score prediction, but what are you expecting to see on Monday? Goals, a lot of goals. Um, we did our podcast for the Lancashire Telegraph earlier this week. I said it would be 3-2, so I'll give you one even if you've not asked me to uh, in Rovers' favour. But I, def- I definitely think Wrexham will score. I definitely think it will live up to the billing because I think Rovers embrace chaos, generally speaking. I think they'll want to build up to the atmosphere because it's going to be it's going to be a good atmosphere with 7,000 Wrexham fans no matter what no matter what the sort of turnout is from a Blackburn end there's going to be a bit of back and forth which is what you need to generate a good atmosphere anyway um, so I think it should be a good spectacle I think both teams will go for it because Rovers don't really know any other way to do other than doing that and they're not good enough defensively to try and shut up shop and, and why would they against a League 2 side albeit a very good one as well so both teams will go in and think they can win it I think there'll be entertainment goals probably some mistakes as well and it should be a really good game and a good FA Cup tie So 
So, Nath, he reckons high-scoring game. He's going 3-2 to Rovers. I can see both teams scoring. Like I said, I would probably say that we'll give a good account ourselves, but maybe just fall short. But even if we do, focus on the league. Get that wrapped up nice and early. I'll, I did say 3-2 to Rovers on another podcast. I'll try and be optimistic on here, though, and I'll say we'll draw and get a replay at the race course, which I think is Blackburn's worst nightmare, really. That's not what they need at all. Um, so I'm going to go... I'm going to go 2-2. A Desmond, nice. Yeah, a I'd Desmond. quite like I'd quite like a, a draw in a, in a weird way. Obviously, I'd prefer to win, but I would quite like having another one of those cup games at home because the Sheffield United one was just arguably the best race course atmosphere of last season in a weird way. I know it got better towards the end, but the Sheffield United one was still the catalyst for me because there was just so much belief. And in Boreham Wood and Notts County, there was sort of pressure and it wasn't enjoyable sort of until you can look back on it and enjoy it. Whereas Sheffield United was just, you know, we were up for it and we were just, we were the underdogs and we really were that day. And we were just making a bloody good game of it. And it was, it was brilliant. It was really joyous and just feel good. So, yeah, we will see what happens. And like we said, we'll be back on next week's podcast to look at the transfer window, to look at back at what happened at Ewood Park as well. So, Nate, thank you very much once again for joining us on the Rob Ryan Red. Thank you very much. I need to get back to work, I think, don't I? So I should probably do the day job or the night job, whatever it is. The one that actually pays us, yeah. Uh, thank you very much, though. I know we've, again, we did have a lovely do- donation this week from one of our listeners. So, a massive shout out to you for, for doing that. We won't embarrass you, but thank you. You do keep us going. So do Red 10 People Development. You know about their story by now. If you don't know enough about the company, though, they do have a page on our website, robbrownred.com. You can read about all the work they do, as do Rex and Bass Band Hypnotic, who let us use their music, the stings in this podcast. Show them all some love. Come on, Wrexham. We'll see you again next time. It's the 90th minute. All your mates are around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.